another world, another time in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. This is what I came for. Your vital essence, the dark crystal. I can feel something. Hear it almost. Don't move. Don't move? Where would I go? Fire! Here's your host, Philip Mitchell. Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone. This is your vital essence on all things The Dark Crystal. I'm your host, Phil Mitchell. I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. And as where I am, I'm at a very special place. We are at the Center for Puppetry Arts. And as we know that we've, uh, there is a, an exhibition dedicated to The Dark Crystal uh, called the Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal World of Myth and Magic. And with me to, to show it all, it's uh, Jill. Uh, so, Jill, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. Thank you so much for having me back. No worries. And, I mean, this has um, been such a great time. I mean, I can't believe it's been, uh, like, last year since I had y- yourself and, and Bo on the show. And, um, when you know, when it was just about a couple of months before it was about to open and just the build-up for the excitement and, and also with the, the Dark Crystal Ball. I know we've, uh, on previous episodes, on the Last time that we chatted, we chatted about how, how this exhibition also, but we might as well do a recap for any of the new listeners out there. So, Joe, I just w- would like to ask, like, how, how did it, this exhibition sort of came about? In 2015, we opened a new expansion of the Center for Puppetry Arts, and that expansion is called the Worlds of Puppetry Museum. And that was all, all came to be because in 2007, the Jim Henson family um, designated us as the home to the world's largest collection of Jim Henson puppets. There are puppets that you can see in other institutions, um, just a couple, the Museum of the Moving Image and the Smithsonian, but we have the world's largest collection, and our collection is really unique because it covers a huge breadth of um, Henson's work, and um, so when we opened our new museum, we wanted to highlight everything throughout Jim Henson's career, but we have so many more puppets and props and costumes and things that we knew that as time went on, we were going to have to do some special exhibits about these different topics. And the very first one that we ever did coincidentally happened at the time of Labyrinth's most recent anniversary, and it was right around the time that David Bowie passed away. And so we had a lot of folks come out and learn about Labyrinth and how it was created. And so we decided, you know what, the Dark Crystal came before Labyrinth, so we should really tell that story as well. And I mean, it just sort of came at the at the most perfect time with the announcement of um, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Uh, how's it been like? Just the timing of it just sort of turned out just great for to have this exhibition to, to launch. Yeah, it's worked out really, really well. So we've been able to share this story with new generations. We've had a fair amount of screenings and we're going to have another one um, coming up in May. And so we've been able to you know, get people in and teach them about the Dark Crystal and then have them watch the film. Um, it's so great to see people my age and even older bringing their children to introduce them to the Dark Crystal and really make this family thing, which is really nice. And also, um, so we've been able to have new fans coming up so that they can be ready to see Age of Resistance. Oh, no, we're all waiting very anxiously uh, to hear. Yeah, I know. We're, we're still <laughs> waiting waiting to know so much um, about the show, um, which... I mean, I can talk about the, the experience that I sort of had myself and Jamie, which you'll hear this, you would hear this in the previous episode of uh, Trial by Stone. But, you know, there was a lot that they couldn't say to us about the show. 
but we know deep down inside that they, they wanted to say so much. And just, I guess the thing with everyone from the Jim Henson company, like they're all just fans. We're all fans in, in this experience. So it's just um, been a fantastic time. Yeah, with, you know, with the age resistance sort of happening yeah, when it happens. <laughs> and they're so good to us and um, so supportive of our work. And I think part of it is because they are fans and part of it is because they want new generations to continue to learn about this work. And that's why they've had the competitions, the fan films, and started doing the YA novels and the comics and everything, um, the graphic novels. It's been really great for us. So not only have we had those new audiences come in, but we've also had you know people that love The Dark Crystal and I guess they don't have Netflix or aren't mm. keeping up, but they don't know about Age of Resistance. So I've, I can't tell you how many people I've had come up to me and tell me that they're the world's biggest Dark Crystal fan. And then I say, you must not be, but you're going to be. And then I can share with them that there's going to be even more content. And then they can, we've sold so many of the books in our store. It's oh. really great. So we're able to keep on continuing and sharing that story. Also, you know, we just had people who came in and really didn't know anything about this and have really left with an appreciation for the film. And I can't tell you how many people have left this exhibit and I've heard them say, oh, we have to go home and watch that right now. So um, I think I think uh, that's one of the reasons that they're so supportive of us is we're helping people to continue and learn about this story and, and Jen Henson's vision. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the last time I did see the film was back in uh, January on the big screen and in cinema you know, down home in uh, in Melbourne, Australia. And even after just seeing this exhibit, I think I'm gonna get turn my iPad back on and, and watch it. Watch probably watch it again probably tonight or whatnot. So it's just. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so now that I've talked to you, I'm sure I'll want to watch it again, and then I'll feel stupid that I forgot to say something or whatever. But um, it, it definitely every time you're in here, it kind of makes you want to watch it again and see it with fresh eyes. I know last time we chatted, we chatted about the Dark Crystal Bowl. We sort of promoting it. I actually wanted to know, like, how did it all went, went down? It was such a fun evening. Um, the center has done a couple of balls before. They were labyrinth-themed, because as I mentioned, we had a labyrinth exhibition. And this was the first year we did a Dark Crystal Bowl. And I had worked at the center previously, but this was the first year I was involved in the ball. So this was my first year to get to go. So I was already excited, but just to see the there was some amazing cosplay the winners of our costume contest um we'll definitely have to share pictures with the, you if you haven't seen them i i am speechless thinking about it they just made these amazing landstrider costumes and then they had cute little t-shirts that they wore when they weren't in them <laughs> so you knew who they were either way and um and i think those were the ones that had jen, jen and kira on their backs as well like yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> they're so yeah. lifelike and and really people just really love this work and it's amazing to see that they can create something of that um, ilk and then um, Brian Henson was here and he was able to chat with these folks and um, there was some really amazing things uh, I really loved some of the costumes um, that weren't finalists but they took the dark crystal and ball and put it together and made these gorgeous ball gowns um, there was one that was a Gartham themed ball gown that you know if you saw it in a store I'm sure you'd have to pay hundreds of dollars for it and uh, there's just some really really amazing work and uh we were just really, really excited. Um, the guests that came, Kirk Thatcher was here. They all, all were really impressed with the work that the people were able to do. And people were just having fun. And we united the crystal. We had the great conjunction. We um, And our production team is so amazing. Uh, before we started recording, you and I were talking a little bit about a show that we just did here. Um, our production team is just takes everything, it takes an idea, and they're able to really execute it at this wonderfully high level, which um, has impacted my work so much. And here in the exhibition, we can talk a little bit about how they helped to create some real environments for our puppets, as opposed to simply being in just a museum case, which is mm -hmm. wonderful, but yeah. you, you put the Skeksis in the Skeksi environment, then it's 
yeah. a lot cooler. So yeah. And, and, and so yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we can talk about a little bit about about the show. So the uh, so the show that you've got on at the moment is called uh, Harold and, and the Purple Crayon. I mean, I got a chance to to see the show. It was just so magical to see, and just I just loved the combination of. Um, the, the puppetry, but also sort of the projection that was sort of presented, you know, that it for for Harold, you know, illustrating with with his crayons and just sort of this magical world that he travels through and and all the different creatures that he encounters and it just seemed like a such a fun sort of um, puppetry pro- project for you guys, yeah. Artistic director had wanted to put together Harold and the Purple Crayon for a long time, and um, one of the challenges was. For those of you who are not familiar with the story, um, it's about a little boy named Harold, and he's got a very active imagination, and he wants to do things. And when he can't do one of the things he wants to do, he just draws the thing. If he wants to go for a walk outside, he draws outside, and then he's out there. If he wants to go to the moon, he draws the moon. Yeah. It, it, it's almost like the equivalent. I mean, I guess it's almost like the equivalent of you know little kids, you know, drawing on on walls and stuff, even though they're probably not meant to. But it's sort of. <laughs> and to put that together with puppetry, Harold literally has to draw in the middle of the air. And not being a theater tech person, I I don't know if there's a very obvious way to make that happen right away. But to us, we knew we needed to come up with something special, and they. Our production team has just done some really groundbreaking work, and they've modified a technique um, from the 1800s called uh, Pepper's Ghost, and are able to use projections and reflection, um, this really high-tech film that they can bounce the uh, projections off of. So the puppet Harold appears to draw in the air, and then those projections can come to life. Um, There is one really adorable porcupine who is my favorite character, so I have to make sure to mention that. (laughs) Yeah, he was a really cute little creature, yeah. (laughs) And it's just really a, a, a really wonderful performance. Uh, definitely intended for audiences of a young age, but really something that anyone can appreciate for the technological aspects and as well as just for the charming uh, charmingness of the story. Yeah, I mean, which which I did as well. You know, even you know, as as a thirty plus year old guy, yeah, I just I just love the show. Yeah, like you said, even though it was you know it's aimed for kids, um, but I mean, it, it is something that, that the family can enjoy. Or, or the kid in you. So it's, yeah, it was such a wonderful um, show. And yeah, it was just just amazing. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, just as I like to go to Disney movies or anything like that, um, anybody can enjoy that. And so I guess, you know, we might as well go through the whole tour. Let's let's do this this tour of the dark, Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal World of Myth and Magic. All right, so my forte is not necessarily visual description, but I'm going to try to explain a little bit about where we are and then talk a little bit about why we did what we did. Um, So as we are here in the very entrance of the exhibition, as you walk in, you see this beautiful glowing crystal. Um, And again, I couldn't have made this on my own, but we have this wonderful production team and we had a really amazing exhibition designer who was a previous member of our production team who all worked together to figure out how to tell this story in the very best way. And um, I actually co-curated this exhibition with our previous museum director, Kelsey Fritz, and um, she had, was the one who had the vision for this and unfortunately left to go to have another position, but she worked with me once um, she was uh, away from the center and really helped me to execute what it was that how this all came to be. Yeah, so uh, so I guess, yeah, it was like a transition, you know, so she passed the role on to you to sort of to complete this exhibition to make it all happen, yeah. And what a very fun thing to do for my very first big project um, <laughs> in my job. <laughs> You're hired. Okay, now make an exhibit. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> so as we as you walk in, um, the very first entrance way has all of these sketches um, and uh, some different high-res uh, photos from Jim's work and 
we couldn't have possibly done this exhibition without the wonderful help of um, Karen Falk and the people at the Jim Henson Archive. Um, she has been so wonderful to us and provided so many, so much help, helped us um, secure some loans of things of theirs and also provided a lot of our high-res images. Uh, Carla, the Jim Henson Company, also really helped with that. So we are able to kind of immerse you the second you walk in to the Dark Crystal and, and what you're about to see. So the very first part really talks about how this was a project that Jim Henson just really wanted to complete. Um, if you think about where he was at the time, he was working on the Muppets, he was had developed notoriety, and everyone was in love with Kermit. Um, and I'm still very glad that all of that exists. But he, as an artist, wanted to try something else as well. So, uh, Especially reading from uh, the biography from Brian J. Jones, um, Jim Henson. And he's always thinking ahead of so many ideas and this fantasy project that would later be known as the dark crystal was just yeah one of those projects and one of those uh, projects that he's wanting to be pushing it for such a long time i guess really the origins really happen when um just with the illustrations with with brian froud the simplification of the story is he's walking down the street in london and he sees brian froud's work and immediately knows he wants to work with that guy he's jim henson so he figures out how to meet him and he goes to brian froud's home in um, devon and they walk around in the countryside and and jim says this is where i want this story to take place and brian gets on board and they create these characters he creates all kinds of wonderful artwork and we do not have any of his artwork in our collection, but we're so lucky to have so many things of his on loan to us right now um, for this exhibition. And you can see his original artwork. You can see how he came up with this idea and how it translated into this puppet. And it's really very innovative on both of their parts. And um, obviously it was a very successful collaboration and then they continued to work together in Labyrinth and subsequent things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it was awesome actually um, actually seeing you know, the, these two books, uh, Once Upon a Time, which was that was sort of the, that was the first book that sort of Jim looked at, and then later on, of course, he looked at again with the Land of Froud and and really yeah said I need to get this guy on board. And um, I think at the time it, it, he just knew it was just going to be a fantasy project. There wasn't any story or script even before then. He was just like I think I would love love Brett, Brian Froud to be involved, you know, with, with this fantasy film. That yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it was really funny because they had they really kind of came up with this idea. They had some characters in mind, but they didn't have a script. And um, then Jim Henson got snowed into uh, an airport with his daughter, and then they came up with what would have, would grow into the script that we all know and love today. But it's it was very funny that they kind of did it in a way that you might think was backwards, but it really worked out very well for this. Yeah, absolutely, and especially like with the whole blizzard that um that happened. You know, that was that was sort of at a point of time where um, he was always doing a lot of things, whether he had to fly to London, fly to LA, working on the Muppets and or, or working on the Muppet movie or so, so many projects. And he never really had enough time, you know, with all this time that he had trying to do all these things, sort of the Dark Crystal, well, the story of it was sort of a, a bit behind, I guess. And it wasn't really till this blizzard that really happened. That he was, you know, himself and his daughter Shell, they were stuck in a hotel room for a good couple of days, and I guess you know he just thought, well, th- I don't have anything else to do right now. We might as well write this story. <laughs> exactly, and of course, you know, th- I mean, you know, for you know, this is before the internet, so it's like there wasn't much that you can really do. So you know, he really put pen to paper and and started writing like a story. Became sort of the treatment for um uh, for Mithra. And he definitely doesn't seem like someone who would want to be snowed in and not work. So it was good that he had this kind of in the back burner, something he needed to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then 
Here in the exhibition, you can see uh, we we do not have an original copy of the Mithra treatment, but we do have a scan, so we have created a rep reproduction, so you can see that. They were able to, once they had all the ideas and kind of had a script going, they, they needed money to put the movie together. So they made some prototype puppets and started doing some filming so that that could be shown to people. And um, once they were able to secure the filming, or to, excuse me, to secure the money, then they were able to, you know, figure out this whole process. And so even though they made some really cool puppets. We have some photos of them um, early on. This was when they really started to figure out that they needed whole new techniques in order to create these creatures that they wanted to build. And that's how the creature shop was born. Um, yeah. And, and so I guess, you know, talking about, you know, with, with the funding uh, for the Dark Crystal, it was something that um, originally, you know, this was something that uh, Jim Henson pretty much wanted to do after the Muppet movie and after the, the success of the Muppet movie I think he uh, approached you know Lou, Lord uh, Lou Grade and he was like you know this is what I want to do next and you know Lou Grade he was Lou Grade he was sort of like oh not yet I mean sort of ended up in a deal that all right I'll give you the Dark Crystal if you make another Muppet movie to do the sequel and and yeah I mean he agreed to that and th that's pretty much how it all started but I think it sort of worked out great in the end because um, it gave Jim so much time to really build up the story of the world of Thra with the Dark Crystal. Absolutely. And of course, as fans, you know, then we got both the Great Muppet Caper and the Dark Crystal. So we have these two wonderful movies that we all get to enjoy because of this. So I, I think it was a great deal. I'm yeah. glad I made it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So then we're moving um, into the next part of our exhibit. And this is really paying homage to the London Creature Shop. And there is... Uh, for a while, there was a creature shop in London and one in LA and um, the Muppet Workshop in New York, but um, the one in London is no longer there. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, they make most of the creatures out in LA now. And um, But the creature shop didn't even exist until the Dark Crystal. So um, they wanted to make all these things and they weren't really sure what materials to use. And they ended up hiring all these people with all these different expertise and they brought them together and they started experimenting and creating prototypes and figuring this all out. And um, that's how we got these wonderful, really diverse creatures in the Dark Crystal. So here in our exhibit, we have some really cool prototypes um, from just like wooden hands, mm. just kind of covering out what it would look like to different um, uh, materials that they were trying, fiberglass and foam latex and all these different things, to then also some heads that when they started working with the controls and figuring out how the Skeksis faces would be manipulated and that sort of thing. But you can see the controls and... Mm. Um, Certainly in comparison to today's animatronics and all the different things that puppeteers can use, they look... Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, like, like yeah, <laughs> I know, uh, like from the 80s, but also like um, just seeing sort of the evolution of, you know, just of the Skeksis hand is just um, incredible. And and I mean, even just see, like seeing all the rods and yeah, with, with the controls that, I mean, it, it does look primitive, but that was just sort of the thing of the time, like in the 80s um, of what they can do. So uh, it's just amazing just how much the technology has improved, especially with age resistance. Like even though that, um, you know, that they're, they're still using sort of the same technology, but just same techniques and performances but the technology has greatly improved over the many years since then, yeah. And of course, you know, having grown up at the same time as the Dark Crystal mm. from when it was made to now. Um, technology just in general has improved rapidly. So there's, you know, they've kept pace and there's lots of uh, wonderful innovations. But it's really neat to look back and see how this all kind of started. And for me being three and four when this was coming out, what they did in 
putting the Dark Crystal together, the materials that they came up with, the techniques, that all really impacted so many of our movies from the 80s and the 90s, and it really became very influential, and um, a lot of these folks ended up going to work on Star Wars and, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and, and lots of movies that people still love today. It's, it's really interesting to see how it not only impacted puppetry history, but also film history. And being so, really like, well, the very first films to, you know, to be an all-out puppet live action, no humans. It's, um, it was just such an incredible feat, especially in that time period in the 80s, yeah. And we were talking about funding. I mean, it was obviously pretty expensive to do all of this. And that's one of the reasons why you don't have too many films that are completely immersed with puppets. But this one it was really successful in its execution because you, with those puppets, you were able to create these completely otherworldly characters that we now all know and love and um, are excited to see what happened before yeah. um, in the Age of Resistance. And also it's just been amazing just you know just seeing all the the head casts and the puppet heads with the uh, skexies and as well as just, you know seeing the, the illustrations as well um the original sort of you know the sketches or illustrations that brian froud created and just yeah just how how big a part you know brian froud really had with coming with the visuals of the world of the dark crystal it's really neat when you look at the artwork and see how closely the puppets came to life. You know, it's one thing to draw something completely otherworldly, and this is not a forte that I have, so I, I don't mean to be so flippant about this, but it's one thing to create this beautiful artwork of um, a different world, but then to make that come to life. And um, he was so instrumental in the development all through the process and, and making sure that his characters really came to life in that way. So it's really neat to see it going from paper to actual puppet. Um, and the next section of our exhibition really highlights the puppets themselves from the film absolutely as we do continue to go on but i will say uh, one thing before we do we actually discovered this on the internet with some of the fans many of the dark crystal facebook groups and of course the uh there's this little section with skexy's puppet head with controls and um this character is skektek the scientist and of course with his uh right eye that it's actually a tie fighter that is correct. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, our conservator, uh, Russ Vick, who worked um, with me to make all of these puppets come back to life and be in the best shape that they possibly can, alerted me to the fact that there was this fan theory on the internet about the TIE fighter. And I was like, well, I mean, it's right there in front of us. I think we can confirm that that's a TIE fighter. So <laughs> that's kind of neat. I actually remember, like, I think when I think I was shared on a Facebook group and I think I, I shared that photo on Twitter and it, it actually really blew, blew up. Like a lot of people were like, oh my God, like just more connections with Star Wars and the Dark Crystal. So... Yeah. Um, there's also some notes over here for Star Wars fans. Um, some of the, they were working so closely, literally in proximity to one another, that some of the things that were ordered out for different things, you can see that they were ordering like, um, there's some Kira hands, uh, a mystic foot, and an Ewok head. Yeah. Well, I had, these are reproductions, but I had to throw those in there because, well. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's part of history. And and yeah, I mean, Star Wars and especially with Empire Strikes Back and the Dark Crystal were filmed, yeah, very close to each, to each other, and which also, I guess, really introduced us to, um, to Wendy well, Mindener, who later married uh, Brian Froud, Wendy Froud. She was, like, responsible. I think she really helped build Yoda. I know Stuart Freeborn, he was the main lead of bringing Yoda to life. But, yeah, it's just amazing just yeah, with her contributions to, to the Dark Crystal and just sort of the connective tissue that both franchises have. Absolutely. Um, and... I don't know if it's because I knew this when I first saw it, but we have um, Kira's dress. We do not have a Kira puppet, unfortunately. 
not too many of them survived. And when you look at it, it just with the coloring and everything, it just kind of has this Yoda feel to it. Mm. And it's, it's really neat to know that she worked on both of them. No, both are very inspiring characters. Yeah, and just, you know, as we continue looking, it's just, you know, we're seeing that the Landstrider head, which was, um, I mean, amazing concept uh, with, with the Landstriders, because I know originally that they were going to be like spider-like creatures. And I think it wasn't until um, one of the puppeteers, I think it's Robbie Barnett, he's, he was the one that sort of did, oh, well, how about we create this creature or, do, or just to test just walking, how they can go with walking on, on stilts for each leg and arm and, you know, as four feet. And yeah, and that, that's sort of the result that we got with the Landstriders. Yeah, and I'm not an expert on stilt walking yeah. by any means, but it no, neither really, am I. <laughs> really seems like that was maybe one of the first times where someone thought, hey, we'll put a stilt on each of the limbs and we'll make the yeah. land strider run with <laughs> all of these stilts. And it really has this wonderful effect, but yeah. it just it, it really speaks to the imaginative quality of all the people working on the film that they even thought of that, because I certainly wouldn't have. Yeah. And seeing the land strider head up close, I mean, there's so many things in the Dark Crystal with the puppetry that I would ex- kind of describe as beautifully ugly or something mm-hmm. <laughs> i yeah. guess um augra is another example she's just really a gorgeous puppet but also she's sort of meant to not oh yeah yeah beautiful. yeah <laughs> uh, ugly but beautiful um and i think as the frank's frank oz i think he quoted that a couple of times and i think in that documentary the world Sorry. of the ducks <laughs> <laughs> i think i've heard that too many times <laughs> don't worry it's all good it's all good <laughs> and uh, but anyway the the landstrider head when you see it up close is just the imagine the detail and all of the things that they put into it to make it and when they talk about how they were inspired by fish and, and all kinds of different things, you can really see that at, um, when you get to see the puppets up close. So that's what's one of the wonderful things about our exhibition. And we were able to craft this one in a way where our cases, you can really get up close to them mm-hmm. um, and, and really have an intimate look. It's like things are looking you in the eye yeah. and uh, and really get to see things up close. So that's neat part of it. And, and also just um, even just like seeing all all the, the equipment, you know, just... Uh, you know, behind uh, here, it's just um, pretty cool just to see just just that little extra added to detail with this exhibition. Just just some ideas of you know what what tools that they used to to bring these creatures to life. Right, and we tried to kind of give it that feel of like someone just got up from the workshop and they're we're working on this, and then they're over here doing something else, and you got to come in and take a sneak peek. And I mean, that's not obviously exactly what's happening, but we yeah. tried to give you that feel, so it would yeah. be fun for the fans. And uh, of course, you know, we're just seeing you know heading towards like with with the pod people or the podlings you know just seeing just the uh, the costumes uh for those characters is um just the amount of detail that they go gone through and um yeah it's and i think i mean that was the thing like and probably the podlings are sort of probably the most muppety aspect with the dark crystal yeah yeah they're kind of like the comic relief or something i guess you would say but yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting how much detail goes into making something look like it's been worn and tattered for years <laughs> because um and part of our challenge is like when we get something like this to know because we do have these wonderful guys who um, have worked in painstaking painstakingly conserved a lot of things but is it meant to be ripped is it and and trying to figure out and and really looking at film stills and trying to figure out what the costume looked like when it was first made so yeah, a challenge for us. Yeah, and uh, I guess that that's a thing because, of course, you know, with with, with the uh, I think like with the foam latex that over time that it that unfortunately it does degenerate and all that kind of stuff. And of course, uh, Russ sort of uh, helped with sort of you know conserving and sort of try and get up to scratch to to what it originally intention. What was well, I guess what was some of the characters that that had less work or which characters that had a lot of work that that needed to be done? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is our mystic, which is just around the corner, and he is on exhibit for the first time. We've actually 
owned him since 1989. Oh, wow. And, yeah. um, when the center first opened and was, you know, 10 years in or so, we didn't have a professional museum staff. Um, the profession itself was just kind of as old as the museum is. And um, so they didn't have, they didn't know about conservation. They didn't have someone that was going to regular professional meetings and learning about um, how to best preserve and protect our artifacts and because I'm one of those people, I now definitely want to say that we have a professional museum staff. Yeah. But uh, so when the Mystic was first on exhibition, it didn't. It was just out. It didn't have yeah. any like glass or anything, oh. and so people could touch it, and um, and so that contributed even more to its deterioration. So mm -hmm. it, he was really in some rough shape when um, Russ got his hands on him. But yeah. Russ is also a very big Dark Crystal fan, so he not only very proudly created. Uh, with the mystic back to the way he's supposed to be, but also very lovingly did. And um, I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. He just, has, his work is very painstaking and his craftsmanship is amazing. And he really cares about what the characters were like and what they were meant to be. And he really spends a lot of time asking questions and, and looking at um, history and things to, to really figure out how that's gonna work. But we were lucky and um, most of the foam latex things did need significant restoration or excuse me, conservation, but um, where they stabilize the puppets and put them back so that they look the way they were meant to, um, but use the original pieces and parts for that. But we did have um, some things, a lot of the props and costumes and things didn't really need a whole lot of work. Um, it's, you know, when they were making these, they wanted them to use them in film. And luckily someone uh, had the forethought to save a lot of this work. So once we were able to, um, to start the conservation process and that was, that worked really well. Um, a lot of the Muppets were made out of something called Scott foam, so there's also, and that also deteriorates mm -hmm. pretty quickly. So there was a lot of deterioration. Two uh, gentlemen are actually puppeteers mm -hmm. that were able to work with conservators and learn conservation techniques, and they knew puppet building techniques. So they were able to put those things together and really create a way to preserve, best preserve the puppets. Yeah, and, and, and just to have with the techniques on their own as this all was happening. Yeah, and just and just um, having just a way that they can lasts a lot longer on display so i can yeah imagine all that you know all that work that russ did and all, all the other people that that did as well russ is actually working on um, projects with ampus museum um, the academy of motion picture museum that's opening soon and um, has worked with the museum of the moving image and some other people and uh, because this is all still really relatively new these materials are just now coming into museums and we're all just now figuring out how to preserve and protect them so that you know fans like us can see them for generations to come so I guess like this exhibition was sort of like the first step in in that sort of conservation and making things last as, as long as we can make them to be yeah right and so this process has been ongoing since we um, received this large donation um, like I mentioned the mystic has been here since 1989 and we had a few hints and things um, our pigs in space also uh, were donated around that time and they are just now being conserved so they'll be on exhibit for the first time hopefully in May where they if everything goes according to plan um, where they will be on for the first time um, but and we had fish slips from the labyrinth, which is another thing that we got early on. But it, most everything else came in 2014, and we didn't even have the space to hold everything yet. So our partners at the Atlanta History Center, who were really wonderful to us at the time, let us use their state-of-the-art museum climate-controlled facility to keep some of these things. And then as the conservation happened, we were able to stabilize them and then move them into our brand-new state-of-the-art facility and our new exhibition. And so that all opened in 2015. And then once that was happening, the, a lot of that work continued. 
we still have a few things left to do, but it's definitely dwindled down to the, the end and we're wrapping up here pretty soon. So there's still a little bit of that conservation work that's happening now. And just, you know, as we're sort of getting into the big part of the room and just seeing all these characters, you know, we, we, I mean, we've got uh, Jen, Jen here and um, I, I just, I mean, for me, I didn't realize how, how small he is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so looking at him in the case, it, we designed this case um, so it would be kind of low to the ground. So there's mm, about a foot and a half of case, and then there's a little plinth that he's standing on, and then you have Jen, and I don't know, he's three, three and a half feet tall. Mm-hmm. I would have that information in our database, but I don't, I'm not yeah. very good at estimating sizes. Because of the way we were able to exhibit him, I can look him in the eye, and I'm 5'2", so I'm not very tall, but you can get up really close and kind of have this experience where you're able to really look at the detail and the artistry that went into making him and his outfit. And, you know, they, for the most part, Jen was a puppet, but then they had some parts where there were little people dressed in costumes and um, running up the side of the... Oh, yeah, like, um, especially with all those wide shots, um, for example, and that, that that's sort of the magic with the film is just a combination of going between with those shots and then back to the puppet or to the wide puppet. That's just one of those, um, yeah, just, the, just that magical aspect um, with the film, yeah. With our Jen here, who was performed in The Dark Crystal, being able to be this close, it's really neat. Jen's right here by Agra, so, and then looking at our mystic. So it's kind of, we sort of did that on purpose a little bit. Our mystic and our skexies are immersed in these little environments that are reflexive of the environments that you see in the film. Again, I mentioned this earlier, but that's really due to our production team because they are, they have these really wonderful thoughts. And um, they even put them up on little dark crystal risers to signify how, you know, the soundstage had to be up because sometimes the puppeteers needed to be underneath and sometimes they were walking in the world and things like that. So again like as we continue walking and just again we are seeing um the uh, uruk uh, the scribe and and it, as you said was one of the mystics that you originally had you know in the early days with the uh, center for puppetry arts i mean and like you said um you know that there was a lot of work that needed to be d- done d- done with him but i mean he, he just looks fantastic even just uh, the puppeteering aspect like you know her stories that you know with i mean with the puppeteers that they basically have to really crouch down and um to really perform these characters i think to a point i think jim henson he actually tried to puppeteer one of the, one of the mystics and he could only last i think i think he only lasted like 10 or 20 seconds before he was like i gotta get off this yeah. yeah these people must have been very very fit in our programming one of the things that we do even with our little toddlers is we try to remind them about like if you're going to be manipulating marionettes or doing hand and rod puppets anything you have to like sort of hold your hands up mm. or be bent over it's it's very physically demanding but then i think about the example of the mystic and i just i'm like I don't know how much training they must have done, but those people must have come out and been like, you know, they must have had to yeah. alter the cost, the puppets as <laughs> time yeah. went on, because I'm sure they got very slim. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I think I, I think I, I don't know if I, if I'm getting this wrong, but I might have remember when I chatted to Toby Philpot, um, who I had him on the show very early on, early days of the podcast, and I think he sort of described it like you, you sort of had to be in the Zen to sort of perform like the mystics you know just to not think about just of the conditions that you're in you know with crouching down but for long periods of times um you know it's just to get the shots or the tanks right um but you know they are just just magical creatures and of course you know we, we see uh, the, the, the podlings again so i mean before we did see the costumes of the podlings but these are the different kinds of podlings the the pod people slaves uh with the bowl 
which is probably one of the during one of the infamous uh, one of the famous scenes uh, I know it's a scene that Jim Henson I think he loved directing of course which was the Skeksis uh, banquet scene yeah this Skeksis um, was actually in our main gallery and we had the slaves with um, the Skeksis and that was so popular people liked that that we went ahead and, and put them into the special exhibition with our Skeksis and we hadn't originally planned to do that but it's just it's nice we also have a a non-essence stolen podling right nearby, so you can kind of see the difference between the two. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, yes, with uh, the male pod person. So male pod, he doesn't have a name. Have a name, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure we'll have, to, we'll have to give them names down the track, like, <laughs> once it gets big, and, you know, like Star Wars, like Star Wars has, like, every character in that universe has a name, so. And once we but, tell their ancestors, then we'll be able to have a better idea of who they should be. <laughs> yeah. let, let, let's make that happen, Jim Henson Company. I, you know, once Age of Resistance is out, let's let's give names to all these characters and let's make it happen. Um, so, so I mean, we did get to see the, the male pod per- person and, of course, you know, the instruments with the um, the musical instruments with sort of the, the drums. And I believe that that is the podling that he's banging the drums in, in, in those shots um, and just... Um, with the podlings are just such fun characters. They just love to party. And um, I always sort of think to myself, like they like to party like it's 1999 <laughs> before 1999 was around. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. While we're in this case, I should highlight that we have lots of different creatures from the Dark Crystal that some of them just like are very fleeting in the scenes. Even all of the detail that I was talking about earlier went into these characters as well. One of them is just called Toad. But... Toad is very well crafted and uh, definitely has a raw look to him, not just a toad look. And so that's one of the things I thought was neatest. Like the feather cricket, we were able to have a little sketch of what the feather cricket was going to look like. And then he ends up being very cute and charming, but also looking like he belongs in Thra. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just amazing just seeing all these um, characters that, you know, we, we may only see them for just a couple of seconds. Um, some of these, you know, from the environmental scenes where before Jen is like holding on to the shard and seeing that vision. Yeah, just, just so many creatures that were well presented in, in, in the film, yeah. Um, our museum preparator is also um, someone who actually came from our production department and ended up kind of getting, in nonprofit world, you sometimes get thrown, jobs get thrown at you and you end up wearing a lot of hats. And um, he actually loved working in the museum department so much that um, over time he ended up learning more about creating mounts for puppets and things like that and has come to work with us about half of the time, half the time he works with us and half the time he works for the production. And something that is interesting about the way that he's mounted these creatures, especially the rock spiders, is that having worked with puppets for so long, he wants to make sure that everyone can see how the controls work as well as all the different aspects. So with the rock spiders, we had enough of them that we were able to you know, mount one of them straight up so you can see the underside and then the top. And um, also then you get to see how these are still cobbled together with gaff tape. So yeah. that's, that's not us. That's no, just no, no. cool. That's how they came to us. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The way, the way it was, so, no, which is awesome. Yeah, just, I mean, I'm just looking forward to all these, you know, what many more creatures are going to come with, with the show of um, Age of Resistance. And, uh, of course, you know, we, we've um, seen the, the mystic and just how massive, you know, these creatures are, the, the Skeksis and... Um, it's yeah, it's just incredible, just you know, being up close and just seeing all the detail, like with the with the armor and the costumes and the hands. It's 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 really yeah. it's really a sight to, to behold. <laughs> Dirty majesty or mm. something. It, it's the materials and everything are just really gorgeous, and then you put a Skeksis face on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and because uh, I mean that's the interesting thing with um, 
I don't know, like with the Skeksis, how they puppeteered, they had probably about like two or like three, I think, puppeteers like under under the Skeksis. At, at different times, they yeah. were doing it in different ways. And then um, if you haven't watched the uh, World of the Dark Crystal, you mm. definitely need to watch for the parts yeah. where, you know, people are speaking in their Muppet voice and they're in the puppet. And it's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So again, yeah, it's just amazing just seeing the Skeksis. And as we sort of, we'll sort of um, continue on with, um, and, and just... As we continue on, you know, just seeing um, Olgra, as you know, Frank Oz sort of describes her as, you know, beautiful, but um, but ugly as well. But I think you know she, we find her very beautiful. Absolutely, and um, Olgra actually wasn't slated to be in this exhibition, but our ex- executive director, this is his favorite character, and she's definitely one of mine as well, uh, said, "Can you please put her in?" And I, of course, we're happy to have Olgra. So she was in our regular permanent exhibit oh. that does have a dark crystal section, and we just moved her right on over here, oh, nice. and we just had to paint her base so she matched. Yeah, yeah it, it, it turned really well. Yeah, it's yeah, and um, yeah, again, it's just amazing. Of course, like Frank Oz puppeteered Olgra, and um, yeah, even just seeing the behind-the-scenes stuff is um, just incredible. And I guess, you know, Augur's Observatory is probably one of my one of my all-time favorite moments um, from the film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really neat the first time you see that. And uh, even here, yeah. static as a puppet, um, she's got a funny facial expression, and you just know that she's quite a character. And uh, it's, it's really neat to... We have a picture of her observatory behind her, so she's kind of in her environment as well. And I mean, as we're sort of getting towards the end of of the tour, um, and we're just seeing, you know, some of the, these uh, puppets uh, that were used, uh, that was part of the Dark Crystal fan film contest that happened a couple of years ago, uh, with Tristan the Freeling and uh, Geach. Um, what was it like to to bring sort of you know getting fans sort of involved or you know having them as part of this um, exhibition? Um, this was really neat for us. Um, so these artists that uh, won and placed in the fan films, we reached out to them and said, part of this exhibition, part of what we want to highlight is that the Dark Crystal is not, it's not a finite idea. It's now continuing on. And, um, and when we started doing this, we didn't, we had really only just seen the, the picture of the Age of Resistance and we knew that it was going to happen. But, I mean, we don't know too much yet, uh, but we do know a little bit. We know about the Gelflings and um, so, what was really neat was the way they created these fan films and they let people kind of make their own stories set and throw. And then when we were able to tell the artists that we wanted them to be part of this exhibition, and they were very, very kind and um, were willing to loan us their puppets. And um, so we have the films playing here in the exhibit. So for those that aren't familiar with that, that they can kind of see their 10 minute films. So you really can just stand here and watch them if you'd like. And of course you can see them online as well. And, um, Certainly the artwork is different than the Henson Company artwork, but you can definitely see how they were inspired by that and um, how closely these characters seem like they really could be part of the world of Thra. So it would be interesting to see if anything like this shows up in the new... Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, um, you know, the winner of the contest, uh, Kristen uh, Daleski, uh, sh- she's also, well, I mean, she's involved um, with Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. So, I mean, that was uh, pretty awesome for Jim Henson Company just to, to, you know, not only getting the fans involved with doing these contests, but just those um, amazing opportunities that, you know, some you know, with Kristen or, you know, some of the others um, managed to work on, on Age of Resistance. Kristen was very kind to us. And she also came uh, to Dragon Con this last time in August oh, so she came year, to see yeah. the exhibition oh, and when yeah. it was open and um, I want to say she was at the ball but I can't, I can't remember um, sorry Kristen but uh, <laughs> it was really great to have her in and we got to show around and um, 
let her see what was going on. And we even took her in to see like where we keep things so she would know that we were taking good care of her puppet. Yeah. <laughs> no, very pre preserved very well. So, <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, as we sort of getting, yeah, again, toward, towards the end and we're seeing some illustrations of the, the, what was the dark crystal collection, which was sort of like a, a fashion kind of, um, uh, things that they were, that they were doing, um, can you, yeah, wanted to talk a bit, a little bit about that? Yeah, I think this is so interesting. Um, again, like I said, I was little when this was coming out. I remember um, Annie was my favorite movie at the time. And I remember that you could buy Annie clothes. Um, but I think that was just like anything for children. They just wanted to capitalize on it and make money. Mm -hmm. But with this, like the designs for this are so interesting because obviously you're not just going to wear a Skeksis outfit. Mm -hmm. So the treasure, treasure Skeksis is turned into this beautiful ball gown and coat. And, um, uh, you can see how uh, there's so much detail that go into the designs, but like even Brian Froud was involved in this. And we have a picture of Charles Henson modeling um, the Geltling outlet. And then we have the sketch, yeah. what it was meant to look like. So um, these things were sold in really high-end boutiques and people could have clothing that, uh, you know, was representative of the Dark Crystal. And this was really before, you know, Disney bounding or mm. uh, cosplay, any of the things that, you know, we're really familiar with mm. today. So I... I just think this is a really innovative, interesting idea that they did this. Yeah, it, it was a very experimental, like especially at that time, um, to to do like a, a launch, a fashion launch of uh, costumes or dresses or you know, uh, uh, yeah, dresses you know inspired by the Dark Crystal. Just just incredible. Um, all these um, you know these art design pieces um, that we are seeing uh, with the artwork. We were sort of pretty much concluding the end, end of the tour and we sort of get a glimpse of the things that have happened in Dark Crystal, of course, with the Dark Crystal creation myths, um, as well as the um, uh, the books that really um, started restarted the franchise with uh, Joe's uh, Shadows of the Dark Crystal, Song of the Dark Crystal, and, um, and of course... Um, and also, I mean, one thing I probably forgot to notice is um, that I, to, to say was we also get to see um, the original sort of novelization that was by A.C.H. Smith, which I know that it is a fan favorite for many fans that love um, that novelization, um, which is, yeah, just incredible. And, um, and also, I guess, you know, uh, back to where I was before, uh, just seeing as well as the comics uh, with the power of the dark crystal so yeah it's 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 just an amazing time to be a fan of the dark crystal and uh yeah i think they'll they'll probably wrap up for this interview and all this uh tour so jill i just want to say thank you so much um i i've had such incredible time being here at the center puppetry arts i'm still going to be, be here for a couple more hours just checking everything out in close detail and um yeah no it was fantastic and yeah thank you so much jill really appreciate it Thank you. Thank you for coming all this way. And thank you for sharing this with the fans. No worries. No worries. And, um, and, and I guess, you know, b b before we uh, head off, um, how can listeners uh, uh, find out about uh, this Center for Puppetry Arts and the ex exhibition? Um, you can go to our website. It's pretty easy. It's puppet.org. And um, we have information about the exhibition on our website. Um, we were originally slated to close this in August, but we have now extended it through January. So if you haven't been to see it yet and you would like to, um, it'll close on January 5th of 2020. So um, come and see us. We also have um, a permanent exhibition that features a lot of our Jim Henson collection as well. And that goes chronologically through his life. So there are also, also Dark Crystal pieces in that. And um, for the preservation of our puppets, one of the things we do is we rotate things in and out of our exhibits. 
about every six months or so. So um, if you have been to visit, there'll be some new dark crystal pieces um, in the end of May. So come back and see that too. Excellent. And I guess, you know, I mean, that's the thing with age of resistance. Maybe we might, who knows, you know, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll find out, you know, later on during the time, but it is fantastic to hear that it has been extended uh, to January. Um, so no, that's great for, for fans that, you know, um, if they want to try, to try and get down here, um, you know, you don't have to don't have to worry about, you know, with the September deadline that originally was August. So you've got till January. Um, but I will have to say um, it's uh, highly recommended to check out this exhibition. And also, um, I just wanted to say thank you um, as well. And also congratulations um, that uh, this exhibition actually won an award uh, very recently, about a good uh, couple of months ago. Yes, uh, thank you so much for highlighting that. Uh, the Georgia Association of Museums and Galleries very kindly uh, awarded us Excellence in Exhibition Award and um, we proudly hung it here in the exhibit. So um, come and see it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so no, which is fantastic. So yeah, again, thank you so much. Thank you. You've already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time, time to return to the castle. The Crystal Calls! To the Crystal Chamber! So that's all the time I have for this episode of Trial by Stone. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. We're also on Twitter at Dark Crystal Pod and on Instagram at Dark Crystal Podcast. If you like the podcast and you think that others would love it too, then please spread the word about it. And if you can write a review on Apple Podcasts or even on Facebook, uh, greatly appreciate it. And if you're actually watching this on video on YouTube, uh, don't forget to hit like and hit the subscribe button and then also hit that bell notification button to be notified of uh, future videos from Trial by Stone. Thank you all so much and stay tuned for the next episode of Trial by Stone.